For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the Nazarite vow. And on today, we're going to connect the Nazarite vow with the vow that Adam made, the Adamic vow. We're going to put these two vows together to have a better understanding of what it means to covenant with God. Make sure you stay tuned. You were listening to Good Treasure Podcast Show with your Bible teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books Unlocking Godly Wisdom, Fear of the Lord, David, Man of War, and the children's book series The Adventures of Rai Rai. For more information, visit the website at DariusGood.com. For more information regarding the church, visit the church's website at bgc.family. And now, here's your Bible teacher, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of the Good Treasure Podcast Show. If you're joining us by radio, thank you for joining us on today. If you're listening by podcast, always remember to like, share, and subscribe. I am the pastor of Bible Gospel Center. You can visit our website, the church's website, at bgc.com. Dot family. That's bgc.family. You can learn about our service times as well as um, our Friday service, which is Push, where we'll spend time going through different subjects. It's our Bible study. We spend time in prayer. You can also visit my website, dariusgood.com. There are several books that I have available. Visit the website and you can see a list of those books The Fear of the Lord. Unlocking Godly Wisdom, Solomon's Seven Pillars of Wisdom, and also The Divorced Christian. These are several titles that I have available. We also have another uh, podcast show called The Divorced Christian, which is a podcast show where we solely deal with the subject of divorce. It's built and designed for divorced Christians. All that information can be found on the website. Once again, that's DariusGood.com. You are listening to episode 22. The title is The Nazarite and Adamic Covenant with God. And so on today, we're going to put these two covenants together and we're going to outline for us what it looks like when we enter into covenant with the living God. Let's begin with uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Oftentimes, it seems in our teachings or in our preaching that we give the impression that once you are saved, that's the first step into righteousness and the only step into righteousness. So we know the requirement for salvation is confession. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, confess with your mouth. The most important part of this verse is the Lord Jesus it was not just a confession. And that's what we people have pray that they are a sinner. The acknowledgement that we're a sinner, that I've sinned. I've fallen short of the glory of God. But the confession is that he's Lord. We're no longer Lord over our own lives. He's now becoming Lord over my life. I'm bowing or bending my knee to the Lord Jesus. I'm acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we are to confess with the mouth, the Lord Jesus, and then we are to believe in the heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So this is the requirements for salvation. And oftentimes our teaching on righteousness 
then we'll go from salvation into living right. So then we preach holiness and we preach against acts and behaviors we should not be doing. And all that is important. It's a part of the citizenship of God's kingdom. In order to become a saint, there is a mindset, a way of thinking, a way of believing, a way of behaving that is required for us to be saints of God. We turn away. We've been set free from the kingdom of darkness. We've been brought out of Egypt. If you look at the Old Testament example, the nation of Israel was brought out of Egypt, out of a place of bondage. And they were brought into a place of light a place of liberty, a place of freedom. We've been translated for the, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But Romans chapter 12 outlines for us that there's another step that is required. So he says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercy of God, now to present your body a living sacrifice. So the requirement to be saved didn't require me to give my body to be saved. It just required the confession of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his body because sin requires the payment of death. So rather than us being the sacrifice to pay the payment for sin, Jesus became that ransom. He took our place and he gave his life. He gave his blood, which is the payment required for sin. And then we are required to die with him. We enter into the sufferings and the death of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we now give our life to him. That's the lordship. We give our lives to him. So in Romans chapter 12, Paul told them, he said, you got to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. And then there's these three requirements that our bodies must be one, a living sacrifice which means I'm still alive. I still have wants, desires, needs, but I'm a sacrifice, meaning I'm now in the hand of someone else other than myself. I don't make decisions regarding my life. The next requirement is verse two, be not conformed to this world. There's a changing of the mind that must take place. A, a saving of the soul our desires, our wants, things begin to shift as I've came into relationship with Jesus Christ. So the way I think begins to change. I know how the world does things, but now I'm no longer Lord over my life. How does God want this to be done? How does God want me to handle this situation? How does God want me to respond to this individual? Am I to sue them or am I to walk away? Am I to forgive them? And of course, um, those that preach that everything is about forgiveness, it's not true. That's not how the Lord leads. There are times where the Lord may tell you to go to court. And so I have learned that we are to be led by the spirit of God. But you have to be your mind has to be renewed first. As we're learning the Lord's voice. So verse two, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? What does this allow us to do? It allows us to prove or understand what is the will of God. 
And then it describes the will of God as being good, acceptable, and perfect. So on today, what we're going to do is combine these covenants. A covenant is an agreement that is made between two parties. It's, it's a binding legal agreement. And in this case, it's a spiritual agreement made between a deity and a person. So we've been looking at the Nazarite vow here in Numbers chapter 6. The purpose of the vow was to separate themselves unto God. Separate, consecrate for the use of service. Not just living a holy lifestyle, a lifestyle pleasing to God, and then going about our day doing whatever we want. But the Lordship requires me to do the work God has asked of me. And that takes on many, many different forms. But I won't know what that work is until the Lord reveals it to me. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world. Have your mind renewed so that you will know you can understand the will of God. But before we could do the will of God, there was a presenting of ourselves. So the Nazarite experience was one of presenting yourself as a time of preparation for service. Having your mind renewed, having the world, uh, the ways of the world, um, not erased, but the transformation of the mind where I don't do things the way I used to do it. I don't see things how I used to do it. Now I'm I'm following or walking steps that are now ordered for me. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. His word is a lamp unto my feet. And so I don't do anything until the word comes. I don't know how to respond until the word comes. So in Numbers, this is the preparation. Number six, Nazarite vow was the preparation for service unto God, to be used by God. So it required them to separate themselves. And I need to highlight this part of the vow. It was a public separation. I know in the church world, we like to do things in private. Go into your uh, closet and pray. Don't let people see you in prayer. But the Nazarite vow was a vow that was a public display. They could not drink of the wine. Well, that was a normal part of their everyday experience. So anyone now abstaining from wine, it is clear that you're on a spiritual journey. They could not cut their hair. Clear. And, and just passing by, you could look at an individual and say they must be taking the Nazarite vow. They could not be around the dead. And so a family member dies. In their culture, it was seven-day experience of mourning. But you're not allowed to participate in that experience. So it was very much a public display to the world that I am separating myself for God's service. So these were the four areas that they were not permitted to do. As outlined in Numbers chapter six, they could not drink anything from the vine that dealt with both wine, vinegar, strong alcohol. They could not eat anything that came from the vine that dealt with uh, grapes, or anything made from the grapes that would include grape seed oil. It would include raisins. They could not cut their hair and they also could not be around anything that was dead, 
But I did highlight as we covered the vows that if they were in the presence of a dead corpse, they were required to bury that corpse. But then they would have to start the vow all over again. So they could not just walk past a dead corpse and ignore it um, under Israel or Israelite law of Moses requirements. They had to bury the corpse. And so we're going to come back and look at these four areas in a little more detail. Let's go to the Adamic covenant. In Genesis chapter two, it says that God created the man, Adam, and he placed him in the garden and gave him these requirements. Now, remember, when there's a covenant, the agreement between two parties is what will I do for you and what will you do for me? But it also includes, and this is key, which people tend to ignore when when it comes to talking about vows and covenants. What can't you do? What, What act will you do that will cause the covenant to now be broken? And what we've done in one of our most important covenants, which is the marital covenant, this, this is the marriage covenant is the closest example we have between the human experience that mirrors a relationship between this natural realm and the spirit realm. When man covenants with spirit, it's a marriage. And I'm saying it this way because there's covenants people enter into besides covenants with God. People make covenants with evil spirits as well. So these these marriages, there's vows that are taken and it dictates what can't be done in the relationship as well. In the marriage experience, for some reason with the church, we have no issues with people breaking every vow made all the different vows. I vow to honor you, to love you, to support, to this, to that, to this, to that. And then when it comes to the one of the love until death do we part, that's the one we don't want people to break. And so we, we force them into a, uh, a remain in a relationship that is now destructive, a relationship that is dishonored. Is built off lies and falsehood and deceit and destruction and degrading and devaluing, de- devaluing this, this heartbreaking experience. And then you're saying, well, you got to honor that last little part there. That's just so strange to me. When it came to the Adamic covenant with God, the minute Adam broke any of the vow, God came immediately to make him aware The vow was done. Well, let's look at the vow. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that God took the man, he gave him these commandments, four commandments. Verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. To dress means to work or to labor, and the word keep means to guard or to protect. Now, he has a responsibility or a job. And then at verse 16, he gives him the commandment, you can eat from any tree in the garden, every tree you may freely eat of. Verse 17 is the don't. One thing you cannot do, you cannot eat of the tree of good and evil. Now, what's the consequence? In the vow, it states, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely 
die. These are how vows and covenants work. There are certain things within the relationship that you cannot do. It brings death. Death is the ending of the agreement, the ending of the vow, the breaking of the covenant. It means what I agreed to provide for you, I no longer do that anymore. So what did God do? When Adam broke the vow, he put him out the garden. You don't get access to this place anymore. Well, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. That's fine, but the agreement is still broken. And so this was really the first divorce that we see in the scriptures. A covenant made between God and man. Man broke his end of the bargain and he was cut off. Not cut off from God, but he was cut off from his place of of, uh, resource. The Garden of Eden, the place that yielded to him. It didn't require him to sweat to labor extensively is a place of productivity for him, his place of success. He lost that place. So let's put these, these lists together, right? Let's take the Nazarite vow. We're not looking at what they couldn't do. It's not the actual action, but in the Nazarite vow, they had to separate themselves and they could not eat certain things, could not drink certain things, could not cut certain things off. And then they were not permitted to be around anything that was dead. When we walked with the Lord, I found that there are parameters or, as I said, agreements within our covenant. Certain things I'm not permitted to do. So with a Nazarite vow, certain things you're not permitted to chew on. To 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 eat and digest. Now, that's not just physical. It can be. The Lord might say to you, I don't want you eating certain things anymore. As I went in for surgery to have my gallbladder removed, my wife called me. She said, the Lord said to tell you, do not eat pork anymore. Now, I don't preach this as law. This is what the Lord said to me. He didn't say this as a preach word to the congregation. So from now on, I'm not permitted to eat pork. And this is the agreement that I have. Why? It has nothing to do with my level of obedience. It has something more or less to do with my body. So there will be an adverse effect on my body if I consume pork. So I said, yes, I've entered into this agreement with God. I will not eat pork. And there's other things, a part of my life, that I am to refrain from. So things you cannot consume not, doesn't just deal with dietary. It might also deal with spiritual things or just soulish things, I should say, not spiritual, soulish. There's certain things we shouldn't consume, certain books we shouldn't read, certain videos we shouldn't watch, certain movies we shouldn't go to. And so I'm just helping us paint the picture of things that we digest and now it affects our thinking. Be not conformed to this world. Have your mind renewed. There's certain things that you shouldn't watch. And I've had shows that the Lord says, do not watch another season of that. He permitted me to watch the first season, but he said, do not move forward watching season two. One particular show, I asked the Lord why, and he said to me that the spirit of manipulation was on that particular series. And so I decided I would not watch any more of the series. It was a good, excellent show, and I enjoyed it. But if the Lord said no, it was something he did not want me to digest or consume. 
There's certain things that they could not drink. This is the Nazarite vow. It's the same thing. What are you putting on the inside of you? What are you thirsting after? Is your appetite under control? Or do you just simply yield to the flesh? Allowing the flesh to dictate your day, dictate your moments. What am I doing for lunch? Our mind is consumed carnally rather than thirsting after him. So watching over your diet was Nazarite agreement. Not cutting off things is important as well, because certain things need to be a part of our life, even though we don't like it, even though it rubs us wrong, even though it becomes um, burdensome. Now, understand, I'm not talking about carrying burdens. That's very different. Cast your burdens upon him for he cares for you. That's scripture. We are not to carry loads of Um, discouragement, loads of uh, shame and embarrassment and all these things associated to the kingdom of darkness. I'm not to carry those things. The Lord says, give those things to me. But there will be things in your life where the Lord says that you cannot cut off. Paul prayed. He said, I got this, this thorn in my flesh. Can I cut it off? And God said, no. He said, my grace is sufficient. That word grace means the unfailing strength of God is upon you. You can't even fail. So don't, don't focus on the thorn because you don't have the ability to fail once you begin to realize and understand the grace of God that is upon you. Then that thing becomes a non-factor, a non-issue. So there are certain things in our walk with God. Jesus needed Judas. He was a part of his group, a part of the apostle. He needed him as part of the ministry, knowing he was a devil, knowing he was a snake, knowing he had ulterior motives. This man was shaking hands with others, entering into packs or leagues with others against Jesus. And yet Jesus maintained relationship and fellowship with him. He did not cut him off. There are certain things in our life that God says that's necessary. I know it's bothersome. The hair for them was bothersome. Even though they were required to maintain the hair for life, those that were Nazarites for life, because remember, there's three types of Nazarites. But those that chose to do it for life, they were permitted to cut their hair once a year to take the load off of their off of them. And that's what we're looking for. Lord, remove this load. But when the Lord says, no, that load can't be removed, then that's a load you must carry. It's a part of our agreement. And then there may come a time where the Lord says, now you can cut it off or you've outgrown it where it's no longer a concern, a problem or an issue for you. Our fourth area was things that were dead. You could not be around. There's going to be things that you are attached to that's connected to the kingdom of darkness. And I'm not talking about always sin. But there's things that are not producing in our life, things that have have produced cycles in our life. And we find ourselves, and if you chart it out, same time every year, every summer this happens, or every winter I go through this experience. Or you might find it to be every two years, every five years. Things that we begin to recognize, hey, my, my grandfathers went through this, my, grand, uh, my dads went through this, and now I'm going through this. You see the cycle, generational cycles. 
These things that are connected to death, God says, I want that. I don't want you to be around it anymore. Disconnect from it. It's not producing for you. And these are things that the Lord will highlight to you and say, I don't want you around that anymore. I don't want you connected to that fraternity, connected to that organization, connected to that group of friends. It's not producing life for you. Now let's go to Adam's agreement with God. There's a requirement to labor, something that you must be doing, an assignment given to you. It's not a one-time assignment, but something that you are required to be faithful in, consistent in. There's a guarding that was required. That means you got to pay attention. You got to notice things. If Adam had kept that part, guarded the garden, Satan would have never gotten in. He would have restricted him from access to the garden in the first place, never would have broke the covenant. The, the second part or third part was he can eat anything liberally. Now, once again, the diet, eat anything that you choose. But then there's one thing I do not want you to consume. The minute you consume that, it will break our covenant. And this is what we see with Samson as he decides to cut his hair. The agreement made by the angel was that a razor would not cut his hair. And in doing so, he lost his strength. The, the one characteristic God gave him to be victorious in this life, victorious in his calling, victorious in his garden, his place of success, his place of victory. He's called to be a judge and bring and lead the nation into liberty and freedom. But because he broke covenant with God, it cost him his life. Just like with Adam, he didn't physically die, but there was a death that occurred when he broke his covenant. Thank you for joining us on today. If you're listening by radio, join us again next week. If you're listening by podcast show, remember to like, share, and subscribe. Be blessed. You have been listening to Good Treasure Podcast Show with your Bible teacher, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and author of the books Unlocking Godly Wisdom, Fear of the Lord, David, Man of War, and the children's book series The Adventures of Rai Rai. To learn more about these books or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at DariusGood.com. For more information regarding the church, visit the church's website at bgc.family. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation and enlightenment. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, may God open unto you his good treasure.